I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer. Good morning. Good morning, Danny. Dave Spano, our President and CEO. Good morning to you. Good morning, Danny. And our hearts go out to all of those in Southwest Florida. The entire coastline, was, as we all know, was battered, and our hearts go out to them. But speaking of rough weather, we certainly just closed the third quarter, and again, down again. It was it was not a good month, folks, down about 8%, and the broader market was down about 8%, and that's the biggest monthly loss since June, and Derek, uh, we continue to get beat up. Right. I mean, for the first time, three quarters in a row, we've seen the S&P 500 and the Barclays Ag Bond Index down, which is unprecedented. The worst we've ever seen before is two back-to-back quarters of, of negative returns. And this is a, as the Fed continues to fight inflation, trying to get an amelioration of demand. And as a result, this week, the S&P was down to another 2%, the NASDAQ 2%, and small caps, curiously, were actually roughly unchanged for the week. So that's perhaps a good sign going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, that could be a good sign as we head into the fourth quarter, which generally is a better time of the year. But we certainly have been beat up significantly since the Fed said they're going to continue to raise interest rates until they ring inflation out, in which means, of course, another rate raise at the next meeting in November and perhaps another one past that. So, folks, until we see the Fed take their foot off and not raise rates anymore and the two-year Treasury seem to settle down, we think we're going to have further pressure. Right. The, the two-year Treasury actually at, at one point this week almost got to four and a half percent, and the ten-year Treasury traded at three point nine nine percent. So again, significant interest rate increases. And one of the things I was told by a, a friend of mine who works at a hedge fund was that risk parity strategies have had a lot of problems. Says so when when volatility expands dramatically in the asset classes like fixed income or the or currencies or the S and P five hundred, it forces those fellows to reduce exposure. And I think that's one of the reasons why we saw that spike in interest rates earlier this week, which the Bank of England actually had to address by basically buying bonds, not in a quantitative easing mood, but just to provide liquidity to the market. You know, you did bring something up uh, just a moment ago about the third consecutive negative quarter. You know, of the 187 quarters, you showed me a nice piece, of the 187 quarters since 1976 that showed three consecutive periods of down, both in bonds and stocks, this is the first time. Right. And this is mostly difficult for folks that have a very conservative asset allocation. I mean, in our investment committee, we were concerned that with low interest rates, there really wasn't a lot of defense in terms of owning treasuries when they were yielding under 1%. But at this point, you know, we're back to more normal levels. And for the first time in a long time, you could say that the fixed income market offers some traction relative to equities. And the question becomes, you know, if we're going to have a recession, which is seems highly likely next year. The question is, how deep is it going to be? And does the Fed pivot? In other words, do they stop or do they change directions? And they're probably not going to do that because that is perhaps the mistake that Volcker made in the 1970s, which was a stop and go policy. So until that happens, we're going to have to watch this very closely, which means there are places to be in your investment portfolios that are better than the others. And this is the time to take a look at it. We can review available on demand this weekend at the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel on our Axiom, which is delivered tomorrow morning, or Annex Wealth Management Spotify channel at the top of the hour. I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. In the studio, we got Dave Spano, our President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management.
Yes, Danny, it is the beginning of the fourth quarter. And folks, this bear market that began in January of this year now enters into its 10th month. And by comparison, the average length of a bear market has been 9.6 months. And we're not saying that we're at the end because, you know, we can see something that has been longer before. We've seen them be a year and a half and sometimes two years. And so therefore, we're working our way through that. But the point I'm trying to make is that at some point, we're going to get through this bear market, and then a new bull market will start, and we've seen that through our entire careers, Derek. Well, absolutely. I mean, right now, the S&P is down about 26% from, from its high in, in January, as you mentioned, the NASDAQ down over 30%. And these are you know atypical moves in the event that we do not have a deep recession. So when I think about the indicators that I look at, things like the fear and greed index, which is now below 20 put option buying, which is off the charts on the upside, which is a contrarian signal, and just the positioning of institutional investors and the bearishness of retail investors. I'm trying to find the glass is half full, but frankly, right now, it's a little bit difficult. We're going to have to wait until earnings season and get the guidance from companies. We saw heard from Nike on Friday. They reported that their inventories have built dramatically, which is going to cause them to discount prices, which, of course, has a positive inflationary impact. We heard from Micron Technologies, a key bill with they're in semiconductors. They talked about double ordering, lower guidance, and, and announced some reduction in CapEx for 2023. The negativity that we felt we needed to see in order to get, as we try to approximate a bottom, is starting to surface. The question is, have we declined enough to justify it? Well, we'll start to see all these earnings reports, as you said, next week. And a lot of these companies will certainly talk about inflation and lowering expectation. When you talk about the S&P 500, and we've talked about this before on the show, that you can go through all of those companies on the S&P 500 and add up their earnings and you would get an aggregate number. That aggregate number, folks, was estimated to be about $240. We are now starting to see estimates more near $200. And so if you take 200 and multiply that times an average multiples, call it 15 or 16, we still have some further downward pressure. We do. And and typically what you see from analysts is they extrapolate. They extrapolate both on the upside and the downside. One thing I'm sure they have not factored in is the persistent strength of the U.S. dollar, which is going to cause some downward revisions in estimates. Usually the market looks past that, but it will affect the aggregate numbers, as you mentioned. The other thing I want to point out is we've cautioned many people about buying ETFs that are market cap weighted, particularly things like the S&P Spider. The top eight companies in the S&P Spider account for a dramatic portion of that weight. But the interesting thing is, if you take out the, those eight companies, the multiple on the remaining 492 companies is below 14, which is a below average multiple, which is one of the reasons why, as an investment committee, we've moved towards small cap stocks, because we believe the most of the damage has been done there. And I'm trying to find, as you said, a glass half full. One of those things would be taking out the large cap companies. That would allow us to be more positive. And of course, that lowers the value Valuations as well. What we haven't seen to date, Derek, is really a regurgitation of where the VIX capitulates. Right. Typically, you like to see the VIX above 40. That's a sign of a very of a dramatic risk reduction on the part of, of hedgers and the like. And we haven't seen that. I mean, one reason we haven't, perhaps, is because hedge funds have been very negatively positioned towards equities to begin with. So their need to protect themselves on the downside is lessened. So perhaps that's why the VIX has been stubborn around the 32, 33 level. Uh, but either way, any way you slice 
exit, the sentiment is horrendous. The valuations become much more attractive. And when you manage a balanced portfolio, you have to look across the board and say, okay, at what point do we feel estimates have, have bottomed out enough and or the valuation has become attractive enough to go to above a neutral weighting in equities? Folks, this show is a great example of what we do, but it's only a glimpse. Find out more. Get the whole picture. Head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Now is the time. Annex is ready. If you like to look up investment terms, Investopedia is a good source. It's got dictionaries, advice, reviews, ratings, comparisons. It's got a long section on squeezes. You might have heard of profit squeezes, credit squeezes, short squeezes, long squeezes, bear squeezes. Investopedia says squeeze situations often accompany by loops that make a bad situation worse. Surrender squeeze might be new to you, certainly not new to my guests. Let's say hello to Amy Kiskala, wealth strategist, estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Amy. Hey, Danny. Also joining us, Brandon Lehman, CFP, wealth manager and director of branch development. Welcome back, Brandon. Danny. Surrender squeeze. That's not where that weird uncle gets a hold of you and he doesn't let go. It's actually worse. What is it? It certainly can be be worse. What we're talking about here are the potential consequences when taking a loan against a life insurance policy. So if we take a step back for some context, many types of permanent life insurance will allow that owner of the policy to borrow against the policy. So like other types of loans we might be familiar with, the loan's going to charge interest. It's also going to have collateral, in this case, the the cash value of the life insurance policy provides the collateral for, for the policy loan. Unlike other type of loans, you don't necessarily have to pay the loan back on a set schedule. If you don't pay it back, there's some flexibility. So let's say you die and you haven't paid the loan back. Life insurance company is just going to take a portion of those proceeds to pay the loan back. Yeah. And this is something that we tend to see in somebody who bought a policy a long time ago, right? So they tend to be larger policies. So you look at your business owners who had started a business and they needed that life insurance when they started. Maybe some of the executives or doctors, a big one has been doctors. Doctors have these policies where they have very large policies they took out maybe when they were residents or they were going through that start of their career. That's where you tend to see this. It's not in every policy. It's not something that's talked about in broad context, but it does exist. Those just happen to be some areas where we have particularly seen it as of late. So now let's get to the surrender squeeze part of it. So let's say I took that loan against my policy and let's say I didn't do anything to pay it back. I didn't pay the interest, didn't pay any of the principal. That interest just simply gets added to the balance each year. So now if that loan balance starts to get too high, it's going to bump up against that cash value in the policy. And if it gets high enough, the life insurance company is going to say, well, that policy has now lapsed. They'll surrender the policy. They take that remaining cash value then to pay off the loan. So so I don't get any of the cash out because I already took it in the form of a loan. But what I might get at the end of the year is a nice tax bill. So when there's gain in a policy, you know, to the extent that that cash value exceeds the basis, which is essentially the premiums that you've paid, it's going to have gain. And that gain should be ordinary income. And again, it was sold to them because life insurance does fit a need depending on your situation, all that. It's been sold to them and they've been said, you know, you can take these loans. But then as time goes on, you notice that folks forget about it. Life insurance has an opportunity and, and it works out well sometimes where it can pay it for itself, right? The dividends are paying for that loan. Well, if you forget about it, and as Amy alluded to, if that loan's too large, things can get a little different. If we were to go back in time to when the client was presented with this type of insurance proposition... What would our counterpoint or our suggestion be that might be more beneficial down the road, like as in now? You have to look at it in 
look to the future. What makes the most sense? What is the purpose of the policy? What, what are you getting this for? Is it because you want to use it as a retirement vehicle? Well, then you have to take a step back and say, okay, well, what type of retirement vehicle? What are the other vehicles that we're utilizing? And make sure that the insurance that you're getting matches the needs you have, not just now, but in the future. And understand that nothing from the insurance side is necessarily guaranteed. I say that word not lightly, but there's just so many moving parts and you want to factor that into the overall plan. That's right. And that's a great way to start is what's the purpose of life insurance? It's essentially a pile of cash at death. So really understanding why you need that pile of cash is very important. You know, Brandon, you referenced doctors, business owners who often might have these permanent insurance policies. Well, they often need the cash to pay estate taxes or to pay off other debts at death. And by taking that policy loan, you might be jeopardizing the ability to have that death benefit at the time when you when you really need it. So it really does start with a great comprehensive financial plan and understanding what all of your needs are across your lifetime and then really matching the right products and solutions to meet those needs. Well, and it's key to understand what you're doing. Understand what that loan means because this is a loan. This is just like going to the bank and getting a loan. And they'll say, well, you're taking a loan from yourself, but but you're taking a loan from the the company that issued the policy. You're not taking a loan from yourself. So now you're paying interest back to them. And a lot of times, as we've seen, Amy and I, specifically in conversations we've had, Folks haven't paid it back. And that's where all of a sudden they look at cash value and they say, well, we have 100000 in cash value. And you're like, your surrender value is 3000 And by the way, these things are not cheap, are they? No, not by any stretch. Some of these policies can be very expensive. And when I say very, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. How can we help folks with, with situations like this before they get into it? I think it's important to sit down and utilize a financial advisor, a team like we have here at Annex, because it's not just myself and Amy meeting with folks, right? You have the financial planning team, you have the tax team, you bring all these teams together and they can look at it and give you an objective opinion because we can't sell product, an objective opinion on what's going on. For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Brandon Lehman, CFP, Wealth Manager and Director of Branch Development. Thanks for joining us. Danny. Amy Kiskel, a wealth strategist and estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Open lines of communication. That's the way Annex Wealth is, and that's the way Ask Annex operates. you got any questions, you head to our website. It's AnnexWealth.com. You look for the Ask tab. Everybody gets an answer. Some wind up on the radio. Some people remain anonymous, and that's just fine. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager, joins us. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Danny. And Randy Winkler, CFP and a Wealth Manager. Welcome back to you. Thanks, Danny. i got a bunch today, and we'll start with Sharon's question. What conditions need to be met to be eligible for a mega backdoor Roth? The mega backdoor Roth is a very sophisticated tax strategy. So at a minimum, there are four questions you have to answer yes to in order to qualify. Have you maximized your 401k contributions? Will the 401k plan allow you to make non-Roth after-tax contributions? And you can find that in the plan summary. Is there room under the ACP test to make additional contributions? And that's something your plan sponsor would know. Is the sum total of all contributions, including the employer and employee, as well as the catch-up if you're over 50, all those contributions made this year must be less than 61000 If you answered yes to all those four questions, then you should qualify for a mega backdoor Roth. Okay. Sounds complex, but check with your advisor. Yes, definitely. Sit yeah. down with your advisor and a tax professional just to make sure if it's a good fit for your situation. Next up from Alex, is it bad to rebalance when the market is down? 
No, definitely not. You're going to want to have a systematic approach to rebalancing. So if it's your 401k plan, you probably can turn on annual rebalancing, which is going to happen automatically for you. If you're working with an investment team like here at Annex, we'd be doing that rebalancing and taking a look at opportunities on a regular basis. But if you're doing it on your own, you probably should take a look at it a little bit more closely when we've had some big market fluctuations. It might have gotten outside of your alignment, but just keep in mind that you want to have a disciplined, non-emotional, repeatable process for rebalancing. But no, definitely now is not a bad time to rebalance. It's Ask Annex. Got a question? You can drop one in at AnnexWealth.com looking for the Ask button. Next one is anonymous. Is there such thing as a super defensive portfolio that still invests in stock? It's got to be super. Yeah, I don't know about super, but you could definitely have a defensive portfolio that includes stocks. Not all stocks are equally risky. So for more defensive names, think of those boring stocks that don't get much attention. Consumer staples, people don't stop using soap, toothpaste, toilet paper. Think of the auto parts and repair companies. Companies. Those two tend to do well because people are fixing their cars instead of buying new ones. Utilities. And in general, dividend-bearing stocks are a staple of any defensive portfolio. Next up from Michael, does buying the dip work in today's environment? And I wonder if he saw that Wall Street Journal article. I saw it last week. It said, this time buying the dip is different. Right. It's gotten a lot of press recently. The general rule of thumb, and as you know, I don't like rule of thumbs, is in a bull market, people would maybe buy the dip. There's a little bit of a dip. Things are on sale and they go back up and you see very quick appreciation of your investments. Now things are a little bit more volatile. They're moving around. So maybe buying the dip isn't the strategy, but you have to look for opportunities that fit with your risk tolerance and your financial goals. If you have some cash on the sideline and have a long enough time frame, this might be a great time to buy what's going on right now, whatever you want to call it. But don't take your cash that you need for cash and say, hey, I'm going to buy and buy things on sale because they might be on sale even more before you need the money back over the next few months. How about our veteran of the trading desk? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, as a former trader, our rule of thumb was eyes in a bull market, you buy the dips. In the bear market, you sell the rallies. Okay. Next, from Phil, why are municipal bonds out of favor? And it's kind of bonds in general, right? Definitely. All bonds seem to be out of favor. This has been one of the worst bond markets in history, if not the worst. Since 1976, a typical intra-year decline in the aggregate bond market has been about 3.1%. This year, its intra-year low was 13% so far. That's a huge decline for the bond market. But this environment is providing us with a lot of opportunities, especially in municipal bonds. And we've got one from one of our wealth managers who passed this along. She's getting this question frequently. What is stagflation? Yeah, stagflation is something that we heard about a lot back in the 70s, and lately it's been coming up again. Stagflation is the simultaneous appearance in an economy of slow growth, high unemployment, and rising prices. So of those three characteristics, we only have one currently. We do have rising prices. Inflation has been definitely a factor, but we've got growth, and it would be even higher growth if it wouldn't be for the other one, unemployment. So we don't have unemployment. We've got millions of unfilled jobs, though. So we've only got one of the three characteristics or ingredients that we need for stagflation. For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management, thanks. My pleasure. Randy Winkler, CFP and Wealth Manager, thanks to you. Happy to be here.
Derek Felsky is in the studio. He is our chief investment officer and Dave Spano, our president and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks, Danny. And I think this bears repeating in a bear market. But, you know, how did we get into this position? We have a lot of clients who come in and are obviously they look concerned about what's happening with their financial plan and their portfolio. But really what has happened, and it started with all of the activity in 2020. Obviously, the supply chains broke down. But then we put in what's called money supply. We took our money supply from $5 trillion to $20 trillion. It's the largest expansion of money supply in the history of the United States. And that, of course, made the inflation problem worse. And we had what's called quantitative easing, where we started to put all this money into the market. And we continued to do that, we, the Federal Reserve, until March of this year. And so that was gasoline on top of the fire. And now they're trying to put that fire out. So inflation is perhaps starting to peak. We're starting to see it in some positive places. One, of course, is that housing prices, at least the air in the balloon of the housing prices, is starting to come out. Right. So for the first time in, in 10 years, the Case-Shiller uh, real estate report suggested that housing prices were down quarter on quarter. So that's that's certainly a, a positive sign in a sense, because that's one of the things the Fed is looking to do, is is put less upward pressure on housing prices and cause rent, rental prices to actually start to decline, because that's one of the sticky forms of inflation that you've referred to any number of times. The other thing is we've seen energy prices moderate. We've seen the price of lumber fall below pre-pandemic levels. We know the price of copper prices, used car prices. So so things are starting to go the Fed's way. And what's what's really concerning us at this point, obviously, is is the Fed going to go too far? Are they going to break something? We saw some issues with the UK this week. Certainly the currency-related dislocations are enormous. The British pound, for example, is down 25% in 12 months. I mean, think about that. 25% is a lot. So in some ways, this strong dollar is basically helping us in the United States from an inflationary standpoint, but it's making it very difficult for overseas investors and overseas people in general, and that's causing their inflation rates to be much higher than our own. So the U.S. still remains the oasis. Money is coming to the United States looking for attractive returns and a strong dollar. And in our view, at some point, that money is going to start to find its way into risk assets, and that will hopefully set a bottom. Yeah, I, I agree with with all of that, but you know, it, sometimes it takes a recession to really wring inflation out. You'll remember, of course, in the 1970s inflation fight, they had this stop and go policy, and it wasn't until that double dip inflation in the early 80s that inflation really go away because, as you just said, it becomes anchored. Right. And that's usually through wage demands and the like. And what we've seen recently is in the labor market, people are benefiting from changing jobs or getting higher wage increases than if they stay pat. And we also see an enormous number of job openings. Now, many of those are poached positions. In other words, they're trying to hire people away from other places. And that's one of the reasons wage pressures remain high is people want to hold on to their labor because it's very difficult to find talented people in any number of industry verticals. And so these things called jolts reports and these these outstanding jobs. Jobs. Still, folks, there's 11 million open jobs and just 6 million unemployed. So until we get some type of maybe parity in those two numbers, and, and by the way, these 11 million open jobs may be the unicorn jobs that we've talked about before that they really aren't out there. But until you start to see these open jobs start to come down, and of course, the unemployment rate, unfortunately, go up, the Fed is going to have a tough road to go. 
They are. And, you know, they have gotten a lot of criticism from Jeremy Siegel, the Wharton professor, and any number of other folks who have said they're going too fast, too quickly, and not understanding. And we talked about the danger of, of a Fed rate hike cycle. It's the, it's the speed at which rates go up that really makes the, has the impact. And the Fed knows that monetary policy acts with a lag. So it, it only makes sense that at some point in the coming months, they're going to say, okay, we've hiked rates. We've met the two-year note in terms of our current Fed funds expectations. Let's see what the impact is is before going too far. And remember, this is a midterm election year. Midterm election cycles tend to be positive. And by that, I mean the markets tend to have a 17 to 18% drawdown at some point, which we certainly have, and then tend to firm up into, into the election cycle in November and rally into year. And in fact, in every case since 1942, stocks have been significantly higher 12 months after election day. And so folks, that's really the reason why you need to go through your portfolio. If you're working with somebody else, a second set of eyes will not hurt. And of course, we're always going to start with a financial plan. And are you on track? Do you have enough to retire? When are you going to retire? These are all the things that we're going to discuss with you. Dirk Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Danny. Dave Spano, President CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Danny. All right, folks, we are fresh into October. We're facing a number of headwinds, not just now, but next year, purposeful planning is important. If you don't have Annex Wealth Management on your side, maybe it's time to do something, especially if you're not hearing from your advisor or you've got second thoughts about your plan. This show, just a sample of the scope of what we do and the way we think and operate. This is your invitation to take action. Spend a couple of minutes, fill out that contact form when you click that Get Started button. Now is the time and Annex Wealth Management is ready. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. It would be our honor. It would be our pleasure. Let's talk soon.